0: We've been going through a series on Exodus, okay? the second book of the Old Testament. Two weeks ago, Kyler started it off and gave us kind of like some vision for it. okay. And then Daniel talked last week about the plagues. And this whole thing is about the exodus of the Israelites coming out of slavery into the, plant, the land God has called them to. And so today we're going to continue with that. And so to get started with this, I want everybody to take their hand and go like this. Everybody take it. Go like this. Good job. All right. I want y'all to go like this. All right. Now come down like this. All right. All y'all just put on your thinking caps. Okay. Because tonight, tonight I'm going to need you to have your thinking caps on because it's a little more heady. Okay. It's it's a lot. It's a lot of stuff, but you don't have an excuse now because you just did that. Okay. So stay, stay with me. It's a lot of scripture. Um, And so Kyler started off, gave it big picture. Daniel talked about uh, the plagues and it was cool. Just a little recap about how basically God sent these plagues, and it was essentially like a battle of the gods. You had all these, these, these little g-gods that Pharaoh and the Egyptians were worshiping, and every plague was pretty much Yahweh taking on their god and kicking tail, all right? And they also mentioned one thing. They mentioned, Daniel and Kyler both mentioned one thing about a big storyline, okay? And I think it's so worth mentioning, I'm going to mention it again. And you can put that slide up, Joanna. And basically, guys, you know, people talk about, oh, the Bible, you know, it's this, this Old Testament, and this New Testament, and it's got this old God full of wrath, and then Jesus and love, and all these different authors and books, and you just don't know what's going on. Well, that is a false assessment of the Bible. So there is one storyline of the Bible, okay? And it's about God pursuing humanity to have a relationship. If you write this down, underline relationship with us, okay? Because in this, he is most glorified, and we are most fulfilled, okay? So... Think about this. In the Garden of Eden, if you're familiar with the Bible story, they were in perfect relationship, God and humanity. Sin broke it up. And the rest of the Bible is about God pursuing his people, chasing after his people, so that that relationship can be restored, okay? And then one day, when God comes back again, it will be perfectly restored. And so the whole Bible falls under that theme. Okay, and now this is cool. This is cool. Listen to this. The Bible is composed up of 66 books, all right? 40 authors. It was written on three continents, Africa, Asia, Europe. It was written in three different languages, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic. And it was written over the course of 1,500 years. And all of that is talking about the same theme. Why? Because it's the same God. I think that's the most miraculous thing ever, is that the Bible is so vast and diverse, but it's all the same theme in all of it. Um, So that's just a little precursor to get our mind in the right spot to where we're going now. So to get us started off, to show a little context of where we're going tonight, we'll start with Genesis 15, 13 through 14, okay? So we're going back to Genesis, and this is Abraham, okay? Y'all know, well, Abram, who becomes Abraham, had many sons, all right, if y'all know that song, all right? Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. So that's before Moses. That's, you know, back, actually back before this, God said, Hey, Abraham, I'm gonna bless you so that you can be a blessing. But then he says this You're gonna be afflicted for 400 years. All right, but I'm gonna come out on top. So now we'll fast forward. All right, I'm giving y'all a super cliff notes of this Exodus 6, 5 and 6. This is early, this is the book we're talking about now, is Exodus. So this is God speaking. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I've remembered my covenant. If you you take a picture, read this, underline, I have remembered my covenant. Which covenant, you ask? Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you in outstretched arm with great great acts of judgment. All right, y'all listen to that. Y'all see, God made a promise, and it was 400 years. Okay, 400, not just 400 years of just mundane, mediocre living, 400 years of slavery before it, he ever comes through on his promise. Try and grasp this. Do y'all know what was happening 400 years ago? 1620, right? 1620, 22, what was happening? Put that next slide up, Joanna, please. What, what is this a picture of? It's a ship. It's, a, it's the Mayflower. It's a replica of the Mayflower, Okay. Do y'all realize that 400 years ago, 402 years ago, the Mayflower left England? And imagine somebody made a promise to you that before you leave England to come over here. Guys, we didn't even write the Declaration of Independence until 1776. This was 1620. All right? And then you had to go through the Revolutionary War. And then you're like, crap, where's God and all of this? And then you go the Civil War. And then you keep going and you go on to the the great depression then you go through the civil rights and then you and this whole time imagine if you're a person of god and you're like crap god where are you y'all and 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 but but the cool thing about this is all right god remembered his covenant all right god makes promises because what's his big goal to pursue his people all right and to, and to fulfill his promises all right you know i thought about this i i'll put myself in this boat whatever you know, imagine if you're like now and you're like super in a good relationship with God. You're hyped up. You're like, man, God is great. God's so awesome. And then tomorrow your girlfriend, boyfriend breaks up with you. Two days later, you're just sitting there like, there's no way. God can't exist. God can't exist. There's no way he would allow this heartbreak. It's just, he can't. All right. And it just, look at how, and listen, if y'all are laughing, y'all probably ain't never been through heartbreak because you know that stuff, it hurts. All right. Um, But the thing is, listen, the the thing is, is like, God is faithful to his promises. Okay? So, my whole point with that, like, I got a little dramatic, obviously, but my whole point of that is that God is faithful to his promises and he wants a relationship with us. So, the next time that we don't see God, it helps us not to get frustrated and we can look for the bigger picture. Okay? So, with that being said, now buckle up your seatbelts because we're about to go through scripture. We're about to start where we are today. We made it through God's calling saying, Moses, listen, we're going to get your people out of slavery. And then Daniel talked about the plagues. And now if you look in Exodus 11, it's not up here, but I'm going to summarize it. Exodus 11 is basically Moses saying, hey, Moses, we've been through nine plagues. All right. If you don't let the people go, this is what's going to happen. God's going to come in and all of the firstborn in all of Egypt are going to die in the night. Just like that. All right. And he says, if they don't cover the door with the blood, we're going to talk about that in a minute. It's weird. But if they don't do that. And Moses, of course, says that. And Pharaoh says, no, like, Pharaoh's like, I'm not, I don't care. And so what happens? He comes through and God does what he said he's going to do. And so this is where we pick up in Exodus 12. All right. Um, A quick note Daniel talked about it, but it's important. Why is the firstborn significant? The firstborn, firstborn is representative heritage. It's a representative lineage. God says Israel is my firstborn. And then so by this, we're going to kill all of Egyptians' firstborn, but my firstborn is going to live because my name is going to be the one that lives on, and I'm going to get glory through this. All right. That gets pretty deep, but it's, uh, it's worth noting. Um, so Exodus 12, verse 3 through 7, we'll go there. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, that's important, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. All right? Now, it says, then, all right, so that's telling them what type of lamb to get. It says, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts, all right, the two doorposts are the one on the right and the one on the left, and on the lintel, the lentil is not the little pea, in this sense, it's, a, it's the thing on top of the door, all right, so you got the two sides and the top, and it says, they'll take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lentil of the houses in which they eat, all right, so what is happening here? What is happening it seems pretty weird. If you're not a Christian and you haven't heard this before, it seems kind of like Halloween, scary movie, blood, killing lambs, uh, painting across the door. Like, I can see the introduction to a movie perfectly with this. But what's this idea of a lamb? All right. Let's look a little deeper here. Um, you got ungodliness and sin of the Egyptians. All right, I'm gonna break it down in three parts. You got ungodliness and sin of the Egyptians. Then you have the wrath and justice of God. We'll put those two together. They, those those kind of go together here. And then you have the provision and sacrifice of God through a lamb. So you got evil, sin, wickedness, justice, wrath, sacrifice, all right, and provision through a lamb. And so you ask, okay, why a lamb? Why a lamb? That's a weird, weird part of this story if you haven't grown up in the church. Well, a lamb is important because it represents purity, all right? It represents innocence. And so we could do a whole talk on the sacrificial system, on the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, sacrificial system in like what what it looks like in the New Testament, what does sacrifice look like now, how does a husband sacrifice for his wife? There's a whole talk we could do on sacrifice, but just know for this moment, it is very essential that the sacrifice has to be innocent and pure. And that's why they said it has to be without blemish and without spot and very young, because it represents that. All right. And so you see, you're still sitting, sitting here thinking about this, and you're like, hmm, there's got to be something deeper. All right. Let's look into the New Testament. Put up 1 Corinthians 5 7 for me um, and John 1 29. So this is, 1 Corinthians. this is Paul talking, and he's actually talking about sex, sexual immorality in the church. But this is what he says, for Christ, our Passover lamb, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. All right, so you're like, man, Paul is saying like Christ is our Passover lamb. And then look right here in John. The next day, John the Baptist, he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So who is a direct symbol of the Passover lamb? Y'all say it. Jesus Okay. So do you see that it's a direct correlation here? How so? Well, we are like the Egyptians. We deserve the wrath, right? And God is coming to give that wrath, but Jesus is the sacrifice. He is the blood over the door, all right? So that on the day of judgment, God will pass over us if we are in Jesus, all right, you've heard, this is, this is another one of those things, if you are grown up around the church, you're like, I'm covered in the blood. I'm covered in the blood. All right, think about if you're not a Christian and you hear that. It's so weird. Like, I just imagine me sitting here in a bucket of blood guts dumped on top of me, and I'm sitting here. It's another scary movie type thing. All right, but what does it actually mean? It means we're covered, just like, just like in the Passover, we're covered in the blood so that when God's wrath comes, He's going to pass over us. That's why it's called Passover, if you didn't catch on with that. Okay. Um, and then all these old hymns. I, we were at Greek prayer the other morning, and, and one of the students, a guy named Philip, wanted to sing There's Power in the Blood. And Reese was talking about this song, Power in the Blood. I love it. And it goes like, there's power, power, wonderworking working power in the blood of the lamb. All right. Now, all this makes sense because Jesus is that lamb. Jesus is the Passover lamb. He's the perfect sacrifice. He's the Sinless sacrifice, that's what makes him perfect. Um, and so, anyways, this is an important point. It may seem like I'm talking fire and brimstone here. Like maybe you grew up in church where all you heard about was the love of God, and you didn't hear much about the wrath, and it's like, oh, Brit's dumping wrath on me here. Well, it's important here because a sacrifice is only beautiful because of the wrath that it protects you from. All right? So I'm going to say that again. A, the sacrifice is only beautiful because of the wrath that it protects you from. Love is only beautiful because of the wrath that could be there, right? Um, and so this is a little philosophical, but it makes sense to me because if God is real, if you're not a Christian here, listen to me, if God is real, then his wrath is real because he is perfectly just, all right? If he's perfectly just, he has to punish sin. He has no choice. That's perfection and justice, all right? He has to punish it. But he's also perfectly loving. So how do you have a perfectly just God and a perfectly loving God? Well, that only happens if he provides a sacrifice, if he provides a way out. Okay? I know that that got deep on some of y'all, but think about it, because you can't remove God's love from his wrath, and you can't remove his wrath from his love. They have to go hand in hand. Um, And so our job is to just accept the sacrifice he's given. Okay? We don't have to. I don't think he forces us to. But it's there for us to accept. the 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 Israelites didn't have to paint blood over there, uh, over their door. But we know what happened if they didn't. So let's move on. All right, we'll move on with the with the with the, with the passage here. So essentially, God came through. He killed all these people. Um, all these people died, and then Pharaoh woke up, and the next morning he goes to Moses he's like, Moses, go, leave, get out, take them. I'm done. Take them. Y'all go worship your God. And Pharaoh's like, get them out of here. So Moses and the boys, they eat it up out of there. They're gone. All right. So they left, and that's when where we are right now in Exodus 14. Y'all hang tight. We're going to read this whole chapter. Okay. Whole chapter, chapter 14. All right. Not even, we're not even going to skim it. We're going to read it. All right. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi Hehirath between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea, for Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land; the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So basically, what's happening here? Moses, God's like, Hey Moses, I know you're running. Guess what? Pharaoh's actually going to change his mind, and he's going to run after y'all. But don't worry, because I'm going I'm to I'm get you through it, and I'm going to get glory. So that's all that's happening there. Next slide. Is that it? OK? When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people, and they said, "What is this that we've done, that we have let Israel go from serving us?" So he made ready his chariot and took with him his army with him, and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen and his army and overtook them and camped at the sea by pi he in front of Baal Zephon. So they just had happened to them what God said was going to happen to them and the Egyptians overtook them. All right, let's keep going. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. This is actually kind of a funny section. It's not, but it is. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to, to, to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. All right, y'all see what's happening? They are just like a bunch of Georgia fans, okay? If your quarterback's doing well, you're like, bruh, I knew this dude, he should have been starting the whole time. Like, listen, I am a fan. As soon as he loses, as soon as he throws interception, guess what you're saying? I told y'all he should, he should never started. He should never start We. Mm. That is exactly what's happening here, all right? On a much more serious level, all right? So the Egyptians were all, I mean, the, the Israelites were all excited because they were getting out of slavery and now they're turning back on their word. Okay, and if I were Moses, if I were the leader, I'd have been like, listen, you could have stayed your butt in Egypt, but you're the one who came this way. But that's how I would have led. Moses is a much better leader. So what does Moses say? Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. All right, guys, how awesome is that, first of all, that is an awesome verse. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. Um, so let's keep going. 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Duh, Moses. Just keep walking through the ocean. You'll, you'll make it. All right. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and his host, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. All right, keep going. So God says, push through the sea, Moses, oh, split the sea. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Now, how awesome of a picture is that? You got evil Egypt here, got Israel pinned with their backs against the sea, Israel over here, and what does God do? Just like a loving father or a loving husband or a loving anyone puts himself in between the danger and his people, all right, and protects them. It's just a beautiful picture, all right? So let's keep going. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on the left, the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Let's keep going. And in the morning, watched the Lord in the pillar of the fire, and the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces, and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. I just got to stop right here. Because I know there are at least one or two rednecks in the crowd that are looking at this and they're like, I know those boys didn't just die because they got stuck in the mud. If I'd have been driving that chariot, we'd have got out of there. All right. I know y'all are thinking it because that's what I thought. All right. But anyways, so clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel For the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled into it. The Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and to their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power of the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. All right, we made it through. And I'm sure you're sitting like, man, that just seems like a story from Grandpa Brit or I guess Crunkle Brit, whatever they call me. Um, and, and, and many of you probably are sitting here like, man, that's a cool story. It really is. like It's cool and exciting and it seems like they made a movie out of it called King of Egypt or something. Um, I don't, I've not seen it, I was told about it. And, uh, but what's the, what's, the, what's, the, what's the main point here? All right, What's the bigger picture? What's the bigger story? All right. Well, there's a reason that this is the pinnacle of the Old Testament. All right? This is the pinnacle of the Old Testament, and it's one of the most quoted scriptures in the New Testament. All right? by, by New Testament authors quoting the Old Testament. All right? A lot of other parts in scripture are commenting on this part of scripture, about God taking them from slavery into the promised land, or into, across the river going towards the promised land. And so... What, let's break it down here. What do you see? Well, first of all, we see people leaving a life of slavery, right, going into a land flowing with milk and honey, headed that way. People in bondage who are going into a miraculous rescue. All right, People crossing from an old life into a new life. You've got an evil ruler who's trying to keep you in bondage, Pharaoh. All right? And then you also have the waters of wrath that are being held back by some sort of mediator, who happens to be Moses in this situation. All right, guys, if you're not tracking, this is a perfect picture of the gospel, all right? And that's a big word for what we say is good news. And what is the good news? Here it seems perfectly explanatory. You have wrath, okay? And you have people who are enslaved. You got people who are in bondage, in captivity, all right? Slaves to this world, in bondage to our own sinful desires, I just swapped to current st- present, uh, present tense now, who are destined to face wrath, have no other option. But when all hope seems lost, God makes a way, okay? God makes a way. And so in the story, he made a way through Moses to go through the sea. In our life, he made a way through Jesus, okay? We're, we're destined for God's wrath. Remember that whole philosophical thing we were talking about? But he made a way through Jesus, just like we were talking about in the Passover, and so that's where John 3.16 comes in, the world's most famous verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever, whosoever believe in him shall not perish, there's the wrath, but have everlasting life. All right, so one cool thing, Tim Keller's a, a famous pastor in, in uh, New York, and he said there's two kinds of people that cross through this ocean, through, this, through this, the sea. And he said, you had two people, you remember it said the wall was on the left and the wall was on the right, where well you got one type of person who's walking through there and is like, oh my gosh, God is awesome. Like, this is so cool. Like, can y'all believe how cool God is? Like, look, like if you look close, like there's probably, a, there's probably like a, some sort of massive shark there, maybe that's a whale, and they just keep walking. But then you got other people who are walking through the same trail and they're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, we're going to die, we're going to die, we're going to die, we're going to die. All right? Both of them made it through. So it's not the amount of faith that you have, okay, but it's who we put our faith in, all right? Because God's going to grow that faith. That's called sanctification. That's a Christian word of you growing in Christ and becoming more and more pure as you become, um, walk in relationship with him, all right? But it's not the measure of our faith, but it's who we put our faith in. So let's look at it from one other angle, all right? Let's get real right now. Maybe you have the pressures of life bearing down on you right now, like the Egyptians were bearing down on the Israelites, right? Maybe you, everything seems to be caving in on you right now. All of life, the stresses of life, um, when you've put in all the effort you can, all the work you can, and you don't know where else to go, all right? And it seems like there's no other option left. When all of life has fallen in on you and you've got nowhere to turn, what do you do? When your friends have left, when your heart's been broken, when your boyfriend-girlfriend breaks up with you or, better yet, cheats on you, all right? When your family member gets diagnosed with cancer, when your family member dies and you feel like there is literally no hope in life, what do you do? Well, let me tell you something. The cool thing about it is we serve a God, as a Christian, who has the ability to part the waters, okay? We have a God who has more power over sin, who has power over bondage, who has power over hurt, who has power over sin, who has power over everything that you can imagine, okay? Every stress you can imagine, we have a God who has power over that. So then what's our job in it? Guys, it's simple. It really is simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. We just have to surrender, all right? We have to accept the sacrifice. We have to accept the sacrifice of Jesus um, so that we can experience that full life. It says in the New Testament, it says, therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Um, Guys, the Red Sea is more than just a story. It's a picture of Jesus, okay? Now, let me leave y'all with one final thing here, one final thought, and this just is something that brought a lot of comfort to me. Notice through all of this, I actually don't think I put the scripture up there, but Exodus 3.12 and Exodus 4.12, when God first calls Moses, and he's like, Moses, listen, your people have been in slavery for 400 years. Ever since the, the, the Mayflower your people have been in slavery. That's all you've known. I'm going to use you to take them out. And Moses is like, I I, I bet that's what he did. He probably mumbled like that. And God's like, listen, I'll be with you. Okay. I will be with you. How many words that is? Five, maybe. All right. So he does that twice. Moses again says, hey, I can't speak well. And God's like, listen, I'll be with you. All right. When when, when the angel comes to Mary in the New Testament, and says, hey, you're going to have a son named Emmanuel, Emmanuel meaning God with us, I'll be with you. In the Great Commission, Matthew 28, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you to do. And lo, or behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Maybe the most important part of that verse is that he's with us. All right. And so this whole idea, remember the big storyline, is God trying to commune with us. So maybe some of you right now, maybe y'all are the Israelites. Maybe you have been in slavery and in bondage and sin is weighing on you and you don't know what the heck you're going to do in life because you don't see any purpose in living anymore. And it's just bleak. All right. Well, this is the cool thing is that God's made a way to get out of that. All right. And so tonight, maybe this is the time that you surrender and you just say, God, I want you to take control. But maybe you're also, maybe you're the Israelite. Um, I don't know, the last one, I meant to say Egyptians in slavery, but maybe you're the Israelite and you've crossed over the sea already, but you're still living as though you're in bondage. All right? Well, tonight's the best time. Listen, surrender to God and say, hey, I, wanna, I don't want to live like I'm a slave to Pharaoh anymore, that I'm a slave to Satan. For the first time, I want to actually stand up and, and, and accept my spot and um, live as if I'm a free person. So, Guys, I can find myself flipping into this, and so that's something I had to pray often. But guys, I just wanted you to remember that we serve a God who is way more powerful than any of your hurts and burdens. So with that being said, let me pray for us, and then the band can come back up. All right. Father, I just thank you for tonight. Um, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to come up here and, and just share your, your truth and your, your word, Father. Um, Lord, I, I pray for anybody right now who who does feel like they're, they're in slavery, Lord, that they're just enslaved to themselves, enslaved to sin. Lord, I pray that right now, maybe for the first time in their life, that they would see that there's been a way that's been made, Lord. Maybe, maybe they just realize that they don't want to face your wrath. They realize for the first time that, man, that, that makes a lot of sense. Lord, so I pray right now that you would just open up people's hearts and minds to accept your sacrifice and come into the most loving, fulfilling relationship that you can imagine. Lord, um, just bless bless us and, and go with us, Lord, and yeah, open up our hearts to you. Lord, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.